Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be continuing our study of 1 Thessalonians for a few more weeks here. We're going to focus in on verses 9 through 12 today. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Well, as I contemplated these verses this week, uh, two songs came to my mind. I, I love music, and, and uh, I was thinking about two songs. One, uh, first, the first one was uh, the meditation that was played earlier. Uh, they will know we are Christians by our love. One of the great objections to Christianity is the hypocrisy of Christians, especially in the area of love. I was reading just this past week uh, of a man who was heavily involved in church but was turned off by the unloving prejudice he saw within the church. He had brought some migrant workers with whom he was working uh, to church. You know, they weren't dressed very nicely. And uh, they sat and uh, were in the service, and the pastor asked the man not to bring them back because he said they were a distraction. How horrible is that? How often within the church do we see a lack of love for others? It shouldn't be this way, and that's what Paul's talking about here, brotherly love. They will know we are Christians by our love, and they should suspect that we're not Christians if we don't love. Well, the second song that came to mind not a religious song, a Burt Bacharach song. Uh, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. Now, the song was a big hit in the 60s. If you're a young person, you probably don't know that one. Uh, but singing about love obviously hasn't changed much in our world today. Uh, just singing about it doesn't make the world more loving. Uh, we're as divided and, and hateful now as we ever have been. But it, the, the sentiment of the song is true. What the world needs now is love. Where's it going to come from? True Christian love. It has to come from the church. And that's why Paul is talking to us about love today. Now in the passage we read uh, just a moment ago, Paul is urging us to love more and more. And of course it's uh, appropriate for us to be reminded to love others. And I want to explore this topic today under four headings. Uh, hopefully you have an outline there. Uh, the importance of brotherly love, the source of brotherly love, the opposite of brotherly love, and the work of brotherly love. Well, first, we see that love is a hallmark uh, of a Christian uh, all throughout Scripture. According to the Bibles, loving others is the second greatest commandment. Only the, it's only behind the command to love God with everything that we have. So it's the second greatest commandment according to, to Scripture. And in the book of Galatians, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. But love is the first, and I don't think it's a mistake that it's first. Uh, That's a a point that Paul makes. If we go to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul talks about faith, hope, and love abiding. But the greatest of these is what? It's love. Love is the greatest. And and you can be be a prophet. You can be uh, the greatest orator. You can even be a martyr. But if you don't have love, then you're nothing, Paul says there. Now, interestingly, uh, referencing last week's sermon, the first work of the flesh, you know, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he has a list, but he also talks about the works of the flesh. You know what the first one of those is? Sexual immorality, which goes, this is what we talked about last week and what Paul has talked about in the previous verses to what we're studying this morning. I just thought that was interesting. And plus it gets your attention, obviously. So, to love others better is of primary importance for the Christian. And it should be a priority for us, right? We should strive to love more and more. I think we need to be reminded of that sometimes because we forget. We forget what's most important. And love is of primary importance. Now, Paul makes an interesting statement in verse 9. He talks about the source of of brotherly love. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he states that Christians have been taught by God to love one another? Well, of course, in the Old Testament, we have several commands there to love others. Uh, The Ten Commandments are all about love. First four are how we can love God. Uh, the, the, the last six refer to how we can love others. Uh, it's stated in negative terms, of course. You know, if you love someone, you're not going to kill them. Uh, if you love someone, you shouldn't lie about them. If you love someone, you shouldn't uh, take their spouse to be your own spouse. Uh, those are ways that you can not love others by violating those commandments. But the focus there in the second part of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is focused on how to treat others. How should we treat others? And it's, it's, it's uh, summed up in love. Love is the summation of the law, Paul says. To love God and to love others. They're the two greatest commandments, and all the other commandments are about love. How we treat one another, how we treat the Lord. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus repeated the command of love. You remember in, the, in his discourse there at the end of his life in the upper room, John 13, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, love being the hallmark of a Christian. We should love one another, and people will see that, Jesus says. But not only did did the Old Testament, the New Testament, did we get commands to love, but we also have for us the greatest example of love in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15 tells us, uh, well, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And, of course, that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life for his people, for his friends. 1 John 4 says, By this, or In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. A sacrifice of atonement, that's what a propitiation is. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
So yes, we're taught by Christ how to love uh, by his example, not just by his commandment. But we certainly, you know, certainly we are taught by God through commands and example to love others. But Paul here is speaking of something else, something else. He's speaking of what was promised in the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah who wrote this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. I think Paul must have had this this, uh, promise, this prophecy in mind as he wrote that statement. We've been taught by God to love. He's written his law on our hearts. Well, again, what is the summation of the law? It's to love. To love God and to love others. That's the two greatest commandments. So God has written that on our hearts if we're believers. Paul says here, interestingly enough, that Christians do not need to be taught how to love or to be reminded to love others. He says, you don't need anyone to to write to you about brotherly love, he says. But that's exactly what he's doing, isn't it? He's saying, you don't need anybody to write to you about it as he writes to them about it. So it's kind of funny that he's doing that. He's urging them to love others more and more. They know how. They have the law of God written on their hearts. They have the love of God in their hearts. But he's encouraging them, urging them to love others more and more. Yes, it's written on our hearts, but we need to be urged to do it more and more, to get better at it. We must learn how to make the love in our hearts tangible, and real and concrete to others. How do we put it into practice? How can we love others more and more? Let's think about it by contemplating, first of all, what brotherly love is not. What's the opposite of love? Now, most anybody will say hate, right? There's a lot of ways you can hate people. You can aggressively hate people. You can be active in your hate. Maybe someone's wronged you and you're angry at them, you resent them, you're bitter towards them, uh, and, and that comes out in all kinds of different ways. You can be passive-aggressive. Uh, this is a, a, a popular way to go about expressing your disdain for someone. You can actively ignore people, or you can not to do things in order to make them mad, like for fulfill your responsibilities toward them. Give someone the cold shoulder. Ignore someone. It's being passive-aggressive. You can procrastinate when they need you to do something. You can pout when they've wronged you. You're not confronting them. You're not in their face. You're giving them the silent treatment. That's a passive-aggressive way to, to hate someone. But then there's a passive way to hate someone. And I think this is probably more what we fall victim to as Christians. We try to be at peace with everyone. We don't want to be confrontational, uh, usually, uh, unless we've really been hurt. But usually our unlovingness comes out in our apathy towards others. We just don't care. 
It's not that we have any ill will in our hearts towards others. It's just that we don't think about others. Or one particular individual you think about, you don't even think about them at all. It's like they don't exist in your world. Now he's talking about brotherly love, love within the church. We can treat people in the church that way. We can have nothing to do with them. Not because we don't want to have anything to do with them, just that we haven't taken the time. We haven't decided to be mindful of them. That's a passive way that we can do it, by apathy. And some people would say the opposite of love is apathy. If you love someone, you care for them. If you're apathetic towards them, you don't care. So you see how that is opposite. How should we treat others? Well, how did Jesus treat others? How did he treat his enemies? How did he treat those who, had, who hated him? Well, he forgave them. He loved them anyway. He was never aggressive when he was, he was wronged. He didn't uh, hate people who tortured him, to, whose hands he suffered. He was never passive-aggressive. He didn't run away into the corner and hide or pout. And he certainly wasn't passive. Everyone he encountered. You know, you ever think about this. You know, when Jesus was perfect, which meant that he always loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his heavenly Father constantly, every second of the day, perfectly. His love for the Father never waned. It was always perfect. And his love for others was always perfect. Everyone he encountered was loved by him to the fullest, perfectly. Can you imagine what that would have been like? How attractive that would have been. No wonder crowds were following him. As he encountered these people, some of them with, with severely broken lives, he cared for them. He took time out. He served them. He showed them the way. Sometimes he did confront them with their sin, and sometimes he healed them. But it was always what that person needed to be loved perfectly. And that's what Jesus did. Now, of course, we fall far short, far short of that. Uh, we're not, we can't love perfectly because we're sinners. But that's the picture that we need to see. Uh, and, and the interest that we need to take in others. As we see the opposite, I think it helps us see what we should do. How, to ask ourselves, how can we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I show my love for and concern for others within the body of Christ? That's a great question to ask. Uh, often, it, the, I guess the first step is to just be interested in others. Be interested in their life. Sometimes we're so self-focused, so self-centered, we, we never think about anybody else but ourselves. It's so much, so much healthier, and, and you'll be much happier if you stop thinking so much about yourself and take an interest in others and care for others and ask yourself, how can I help this person? How can I be of service to this person? Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe you can physically go do something for them. I don't know. You have to assess that for yourself. But love is active, and it takes work. And that's why Paul's saying, let's do it more and more. Let's take an active interest in one another's lives. But there is a caveat here. At the end of uh, verse 10 where he says, We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So here we have the work of brotherly love. Uh, He's telling them, when he says to, to mind their own affairs and to work with your hands, to live quietly, he wants you to be busy, not a busy body. You know, we are called to love others and to take an interest in their lives. Uh, but we're not called to be, to mind other people's business. My father-in-law likes to say that. He says, I don't want to mind your business, but, and then he begins to mind your business. And he gives, he often gives great advice uh, about things and shares his wisdom, which is much appreciated. But sometimes we can take a, a, an interest in others that's just for the sake of gossip, uh, just because we're busybodies, uh, we want to know what's going on, and we want the salacious details. Well, see, the difference there is that when we're when we're taking an interest in someone, that's not in that person's best interest to to do it in that manner, to be a busybody or a gossip. You have to think when you're encountering someone and 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 asking questions about their life, how can I? What can I do with this information? How can I best serve them with this information? Not serve your own desires, your own uh, ill will, or, or whatever it is that you're, you're wrongly motivated by, but to take a real interest in their lives in order to serve them and to help them and encourage them. And that will keep you from being a busybody. Now, some of these folks here uh, in the church, uh, it's referenced again in Second Thessalonians. Paul, again, has to child some of these people because they weren't working. We don't know the reason, perhaps because there's a lot of ink here spilled about uh, the second coming of the Lord. Perhaps they thought the Lord was coming back any moment, so they didn't need to work. And they were just hanging around and gossiping about one another and in everybody's business. So Paul has to tell them, and he tells them more than once, to, to, to do your work. Be diligent. Do your work. And don't depend on others. See, some of the people who were poorer, some of the people who were not working, they had benefactors in the church. They had uh, wealthy benefactors that would support them when they were fully able to work. And they were not working. They were minding other people's business. They were uh, gossiping and doing that sort of thing. So that's why Paul says what he says here. To get to work. Do your work, mind your own affairs, live quietly, but love others more and more. Work for them, work for the Lord, and work for others. And that's what Jesus did. He worked for others. He came not to be served, but to be a servant. And really that's the attitude, as we just sang. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day. May we have that same lovingness, Is that a word, lovingness, loving kindness towards others? Uh, That same loving kindness towards others that Jesus pointed us to. That's how we can love others more and more. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your great love with which you have loved us. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to not be busybodies, to not be on one hand, and to not be apathetic on the other. 
Lord, help us not to be bitter or resentful, but to be forgiving like you were towards others and even those who've wronged us deeply. Give us grace to be forgiving. But Lord, help us to take an interest in one another's lives so that we can serve one another and love one another and encourage one another and walk with you together to serve you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a loving church. And and Lord, we pray that we would never be hypocrites, that we would never uh, look down on someone else who comes to the church, that we would welcome all and, and love them and point them to the truth, point them with love to the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.